You can turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Appreciate your prayers for Will and Crystal. They're trying to get a military flight out tomorrow out of Travis. So they're going to head back tonight. And uh, Will's got to be back on duty, I think, by the 1st. So they have a limited window in which they can catch these flights. But pray that they catch the first one. (laughs) So... uh, Today I wanted to talk to you about, uh, last week we talked about Twas the Night Before Christmas, and today we're going to talk about the day after Christmas. And we find our text in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to focus in on verses 17 through 20. And uh, this text of Scripture basically tells us, as believers, how to celebrate Christmas. Not just once a year, but every day of the year. And uh, as you look at this text in Luke chapter 2, you're probably familiar with it, you probably read it, uh, Christmas Day with your family, Uh, verse 7, the first seven verses basically describe the fact that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. Now remember, Mary was a virgin at this time, she had no relations with any man, and uh, she remained a virgin after this until her marriage. Uh, And so she was, the Bible says here that she wrapped him in cloths, swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, which is a feeding trough, because there was no room for them in the inn. That's really all the Bible here in Luke tells us about the birth of Christ. That's it. Uh, It's kind of an obscure thing to happen put it mildly, to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to be born in such a way. I think if you or I were to do this, we would have done it totally different. Um, But here he is, the King of Kings, the Son of David, the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, laying in this animal's feeding trough. And it was probably the most incredible event in all of human history. It definitely was. And yet it happened in such you might say a distasteful way, uh, an odd way. Not a lot of people understood what was going on this, this day. Uh, Caesar didn't know what happened. Quinarius, the governor, didn't know what had happened. Herod didn't know what had happened. You could even venture to say for sure that the high priest didn't know what happened. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. None of them knew what had happened this day. You could say that the religious elite of Jesus' time, at the time of his birth, didn't understand what had happened. In fact, really nobody knew what had happened outside of Joseph and Mary. Even the people who were there in the stable when it happened probably totally didn't get it. Um, They had no idea what had happened on this day in Bethlehem. But heaven knew what happened because it tells us in verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, When the angel of the Lord appears to you, you might want to listen up. You might want to straighten up and, wow, this is, this is a pretty big event here. 
And it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. You know, that would be the response any one of us would have if an angel of the Lord or any angel made its presence known to us at any time. It's funny when you hear certain accounts of people talking about their encounters with supernatural beings, angels, and the Lord, and all this stuff. And, oh yeah, we just had a conversation. It was kind of cool, you know. We sat down over coffee. No, trust me. If the Lord appeared to you, you'd be face first on the ground. You'd be bowing before him. And if an angel appeared to you, you would be filled with fear. And that's what happened to these Shepherds, And it says, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, if that wasn't enough... God sent a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, it's important for us to understand that here in verse 11 is kind of the the focal point of this passage. It says there clearly, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A savior. He has been born for you, for I, a Savior. You have to understand that I think in today's churches, a lot of times, we forget why Jesus came. We forget why Jesus was born. We forget why Jesus went on a cross and paid a price of a cruel death. We forget why he was risen from the grave on the third day. We forget all these things. Somehow we we begin to believe that somehow Jesus came so that we would have meaning in life. Or Jesus came to give us purpose. Or Jesus came to relieve you from your anxiety and your worry. Or maybe he came to alleviate your poverty. Or maybe he came so you would have fulfillment in life. Or maybe Jesus came to save you from your troubles. You know, there is absolutely no guarantee in this life that you're going to be rescued or saved from any of those things. The Bible doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says something like this, that Jesus saves you from the eternal wrath of God. <laughs> wow. It's not that Jesus saves you from anything in this life in particular. Because you're still going to struggle with all kinds of trouble and trials and tribulations as a Christian. You still even may have part of your life that's unfulfilled as a Christian. You may even find life to be less than what you want it to be in this world. Maybe even more painful than you could ever even bear. See, there's no guarantee that that will change in this life. And yet, there's a lot of Christian people running after that whole dream. That's why people that write books like Your Best Life Now 
make billions and billions of dollars off the sales of books like that because that's what people want. But the Bible doesn't promise that. Jesus came to save his people, but to save them from what? From sins. From the penalty of their sins. What's the penalty of sin? The Bible clearly says that it's eternal hell. Emmanuel mentioned that earlier. It's the wrath of God. To save us from the power of sin by giving us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can live victorious lives even here in this life. And then finally, not only the penalty and the power of sin, but ultimately the presence of sin. One day as a Christian, do you understand that you will not have to deal with sin anymore? At all. When we leave this world, when we enter glory, beloved, that's the good news of the gospel. That's what he came to save us from. Their sins. Our sins. And he will save us from the wrath of God, which is eternal wrath in hell forever. So the wages of sin, the Bible says, is what? Is death. And death doesn't just mean physical death. It means spiritual death. It means total separation from God for all eternity. Separation from God forever in a place of torment and punishment. However, you'll still be under the wrath of God in that place. See, this child was born... Jesus was born to save us from his wrath, from save us from the wrath of God. And so should we celebrate his birth? By all means, we should, definitely. But the question is, how do we celebrate it? How should we celebrate Jesus' birth? I think, first and foremost, the answer is, you should celebrate Christmas by becoming a Christian. That might be a good start. Because if you're not a Christian, you have... No concept of what Christmas is about. I mean, you may understand the particulars. You may understand the story that we find in Scripture. You understand the giving of gifts, all that stuff. But until you can call the Lord Jesus Christ your Savior, you'll never, ever fully understand what Christmas is all about. Maybe you're here this morning you'd like to become a Christian. Maybe you're saying that sounds pretty interesting. Well, there's three things you have to confront. First of all, you have to confront your own sinfulness. You have to be willing to say that, you know what? Yes, I'm a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means all. Without exception. There's only one who didn't meet that criteria, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are all in the same boat together doesn't matter whether you're up here or you're down there or, or you're wearing a robe or you're wearing vestments. Everybody in the world, the Bible says, is a sinner. Secondly, because of our sin, we need a Savior. We need someone to save us from the wrath of God because of our sin. And thirdly, you have to conclude that Christ is that Savior. Christ is the Savior you need. See, if you attest to all those things, if you believe that Jesus Christ came, he lived a life, he died on a cross, he was raised the third day, that you're a sinner and you need a Savior, and Christ is that Savior, 
then you express your heart to God and He'll save you. You stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to think that somehow coming to church gets you brownie points with God or giving to the poor gets you brownie points with God. The Bible says that we're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God through faith. Are you willing to trust Christ with all your heart? To trust Him as your Savior, your Lord? If you are, you can be saved right now. It's simply reaching out by faith and believing what God has said about His Son. See, God isn't going to ask you one day when you die and you stand before God. He's not going to say, oh, how many homeless people did you feed? How many times did you go to church? Did you read your Bible every day? Did you pray before dinner every time? He's not going to ask you things like that. He's going to ask you one question. What did you do with my son? What does my son mean to you? And the Bible says those who trust in Christ and in his work are saved for all eternity. It sounds like a pretty good deal to me. See, this is where Christmas should begin for all of us. Well, here we see these angels came. They proclaimed the good news. And the people they proclaimed it to were the humblest of people. I mean, these were the lowest people on the socioeconomic ladder that there was. These were shepherds. Shepherds were unskilled. They were uneducated. And they were untrained people. They were unclean people. They were so down on the ladder, that even if they saw a crime take place, they were not allowed to come to court and to testify because people wouldn't believe them. They were just untrustworthy people. They were the lowest of the low. And yet here's the people that God sent this message to. Nobody else knew what was going on, but the shepherds knew. He ignored the great leaders, the great religious leaders, the great political leaders. He ignored the philosophers and the educators. And he came specifically to these shepherds. And yet, that's what the Lord always does. He's saying that he's going to come to the humble. He always said that he would come to the humble. All the way back in Isaiah, he said that he would come to the poor. First Corinthians, Paul says that there would not be many noble, not many mighty. But it would be the poor, the base, the weak. Aren't you thankful for that? I don't know about you, but I am. Because I, I wouldn't make the cut. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't make the cut. And the shepherds give us that illustration. Now imagine you're one of these shepherds. You're just out minding your own business in the hills and you're tending your flock. Same thing over and over. Pretty boring. Pretty commonplace. And then all of a sudden... An angel of the Lord appears to you. And then all heaven breaks loose. Maybe it was Gabriel who came to the shepherds. And the the angel tells you that the Messiah, the Savior, has been born. The Christ, the Savior of the world. God in human flesh. And then a whole host, heavenly host of angels, surrounds that one angel and they... Praise God, glorifying God for the salvation that he's brought to earth through the birth of his Messiah. I mean, these guys could never even imagine this with their wildest dreams that this would happen to them, and yet it did. See, the key to the the story here is, well, what did they do with this information? 
right? I mean, if the angels came and said all this and they just continued on with their life, well, then they wouldn't be part of the story. But because God changed them, how did they respond? How did they react? That's what I want to look at this morning. And that's found in verses 15 through 21. It's a good illustration of how people even respond to the gospel. Look at, follow along in your Bibles as I read verses 15 of Luke chapter 2 down to verse 21. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went and with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the, what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was even conceived in the womb. This passage literally describes the response of various people. What do they do after Christmas? What do they do after Christ is born? Well, first of all, we see here quickly proclaiming. They proclaimed. It says in verse 17, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Spread the word. It's, 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 it means to proclaim something. To tell everybody about something. I mean, these shepherds, like I said, were the lowest of the low. Nobody wanted to listen to a shepherd. If a shepherd came into town, everybody would avoid him. They smelled like animals. You know, have you ever been around animals? If you're not an animal person, you can tell when people have been around animals. Trust me. Most shepherds were even considered like gypsies, vagrants, con men. And these shepherds who heard the angels singing, they probably couldn't even read or write. And they heard this spectacular presentation from the angelic hosts. It says, Then when they went to Bethlehem, they discovered the Savior of the world in the feeding trough in a rough outdoor barn, perhaps a cave carved out of a rocky hillside. And the birth and the revelation probably didn't seem to go together. They probably thought, this is it? This is what this angel came to tell us? This little baby in this feeding trough of an animal? And probably on that night outside of Joseph and Mary, the only people in the world who knew what had happened, that Christ was born, were these shepherds. After 400 silent years, when God did not speak through his prophets, he now speaks through the angels to these lowly shepherds on a remote hillside outside this tiny little village. I don't know about you, but that wasn't a likely way to win the world. That's not the way I would have done it. 
I mean, if I would have planned it, I would have had a parade and I would have had, you know, all the, the city council there and everybody there just giving, you know, ready to go. I wouldn't have given it to a, some information to a bunch of run-down shepherds out on a remote hillside somewhere. But what does that tell us? That tells us that God's ways are not always our ways. See, he chose to reveal the news to the shepherds first of all. And after their initial fear, what did they do? They responded. They responded how? By faith. Just like you and I respond by faith. They believed the angel. And then it says they immediately went to Bethlehem and they found the baby Jesus. And everything was just like the angel told them. What did they do then? Then they went and they proclaimed it. They told everyone they met what they had seen, what they had heard. I mean, stop and think. Would you have been that obedient? If you were a shepherd out and the angel appeared to you and said this, I mean, would you have left your flock and gone to town and found the baby Jesus? And then after finding him, proclaimed your story to everyone? Have you ever had something happen to you that you're trying to relate it to somebody and you start off and you go, you know what, you're not even going to believe this, right? Because this is so far-fetched, but it really happened. Would we have been as quick to tell the story? See, they did what all Christians should do today. They told others what they had seen and what they had heard. They spread the word, it says, about Jesus the Christ. And when you get right down to it, that's what evangelism is all about. It's about telling others about the good news about Jesus Christ. What the shepherds did, we all should and can do. You don't need authority. You don't need permission. You don't need kind of some special evangelism training to witness for Christ. You simply tell what you know to be true. You talk about Christ. You talk about your Savior. You talk about the fact that your sins are forgiven, that you're, you're, you're assured of heaven. You tell them who He is and what He has done for you. You share your story, your testimony, we call it, and you invite others to come to Christ just as you did, by faith. That's what the shepherds did. That's what God calls us to do. That's the first way we can celebrate Christmas, is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Secondly, in verse 18, it says, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This comes under the heading of wonderment or wondering. It has the idea, it's, it's a mild word really to describe the reaction of those who heard what the shepherds said. We might say they were kind of blown away in our modern day vernacular. The story itself would sound incredible. The part about hearing the angelic choir in the middle of the night out on a hillside, come on. Not to mention finding the Son of God, just as the angel said, in a feeding trough. Who has a newborn baby and puts him in a feeding trough? And to think that God chose these lowly shepherds as the first evangelists. You know, when you come and you start talking about the word wonder, amazement, there's different kinds of amazement. The first has to do with kind of a temporary fascination. We've all experienced that. When unusual things happen, an unusual turn of events, we call it. 
If I stood here today and told you, you know what, folks, the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl this year, you would laugh. You would say, you're nuts. You're out of your mind. I actually read an article last week online where some sports guy said, this could happen. If this, these people lose, and these, I don't know if it's still true, but this was a week or two ago, that they could still end up in the playoffs. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, everybody would have to lose except them, basically, which is not going to happen. But as unlikely as that is, okay, you stop and you think, you know what? That wouldn't be supernatural if that happened in the literal sense. I mean, terrible teams do go on to win the playoffs and even win championships sometimes. It's unusual, but it's not miraculous. The second kind of amazement is what we call holy wonder. It's the kind of awe that comes from seeing God at work in an incredible way. In the deepest sense of all the acts of God are grounds for holy wonder. Because everything he does has his stamp of divinity on it. Think about it for a second. Go back to Genesis and you think in your mind, Genesis, what did God do? He created the entire universe. Out of what? Nothing. Wow. That's pretty amazing. He spoke and the stars flew into place. Perfectly aligned in their orbits. Crazy. He spoke and the earth took up its orbit. He spoke and the little rabbits and the geese and the bunnies and all kinds of things began to scurry about. Just with his word, God spoke and it happened. Then he took a lump of dirt, (laughs) trying to keep his humble men, and he made a man out of a lump of dirt. Then he took a rib out of that man and he made a woman. (laughs) Pretty incredible. I mean, when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you encounter something that is truly wonderful. It's mind-boggling. And the wonders continue throughout the Bible. And you get all the way to Revelation. It tells us when Christ returns in Revelation 19.16. He will have written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. From that very text, Handel wrote his hallelujah chorus. See, when Christ returns, beloved, he will establish his kingdom on earth. And the Bible tells us that earthly kings will bow before him in wonder. Isaiah 52, 15 says, And the kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. All the boastful talk, all the jibber-jabbering will come to an end. One translation puts it this way, Kings will be silent as they bow in wonder. That word wonder puts a slightly different spin on it. And it brings us right back to Luke chapter 2, verse 18. When Christ came the first time, it says the kings, the magi from the east, brought with them gifts to the newborn, the king of Jews. It was gold because he was a king, frankincense because he was a priest, and myrrh because he was born to die for the sins of the world. But it tells us that those kings bowed in wonder. Well, one day, all the kings of the earth are going to bow and wonder before the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be silent before the victorious Son of God. See, Christmas is indeed a cause for us to have holy wonder. 
not just a fascination, but when you just stop and go, wow, that's incredible. How could it be that God would become a man? How could it be that God would be born of a virgin? How could it be that a king be born in a feeding trough? How could the world ignore his coming or the salvation that he offers? What sort of God comes into the world like this? See, that's, that's the amazement that we experience at Christmas time. I would ask that you pause, maybe even this afternoon, and begin to be amazed by what God has done. Sometimes we lose that sense of amazement the longer we're believers. You know, we start going to church and we get in Bible studies. And, you know, the, the good news becomes the old news. We need to remind ourselves that we should be in wonder at our salvation. How could you regain that lost sense of wonder? I think the best way is by watching kids, watching children, watching what they're amazed with. You know, we get busy with all the things of life and, and you know, even at Christmas time we're getting gifts and wrapping things and going out to dinner and doing all this stuff. And sometimes you just look at a little child and they're just amazed at the smallest of things. Well, the third thing here is pondering. And it tells us in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart pondered them in her heart. That word treasured has the idea of counting things up. It's actually kind of calculating, making a list, checking it twice. Just kidding. So you don't forget anything. Okay? It's what you do at the end of every busy day. Make sure you don't forget anything that you were supposed to do. It's what you do when you go to the grocery store for the wife and she gives you a list. My wife always starts off with a verbal list. Hey, can you pick up a thing of eggs and a quarter milk and some butter and text me? That's all I say. Just text me. Because I'm not going to remember all this stuff. All right? That's what this means. That word ponder goes deeper than even wandering. It means to take events as you've laid them out in your memory and then go beneath the surface and try to understand what it all means. Why did this happen the way it happened? And... You think about Mary pondering what had happened to her. I mean, she had a lot to ponder, did she not? All the way back from Zacharias and Elizabeth to the birth of John the Baptist. I'm sure she thought about what Gabriel said and now how Joseph responded when she told him that she was pregnant. And then all the amazing dream that Joseph had. She must have recalled in her mind that long, arduous journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem as she was pregnant and all the events of the birth itself. Even the surprise visit by these motley crew of shepherds. She had a lot to think about. No doubt she continued to wonder why God had chosen her. Why me, God? I'm sure she pondered what was... Ahead for this little baby she held in her hands. You know, pondering is not something you do in a casual way. This isn't just a slight little reflection. It takes hard work to ponder about something. And yet, you know what? To be honest, this is the perfect time of year to do some pondering. 
What better time than at the end of December to ponder what God has been teaching you in 2015? To look back over the last 12 months and consider the ways and the works of God in your life and the world around you. Set aside at least an hour of uninterrupted time. Find a quiet place. Turn off the TV, the radio, the iPad, the CD player. Ask God to show you things that you need to learn. Make a top ten list. Top ten list of what happened in your life in 2015. They can be events that happened to you personally or events that happened in the lives of others that affected you. Those things can be good or bad, victories or defeats. It doesn't matter. Mark that, make that category as broad as you like. And as you look at that list, ask God to show you what patterns are at work. What is God trying to teach you? What lessons seem to come over and over again? What are you learning about yourself, positively, negatively? And then focus on the Lord. What have you learned about God's character this past year? Ask the Lord to give you insight where he may be leading you this next year. How does he want to use you in 2016? What are some prayer requests maybe that you need to write down for 2016? See, that's an exercise that you can come to with an open heart. And I think God will be, be faithful to meet you there. Well, Mary pondered what had happened in her life and what God was doing in her life. And we need to do the same. And the last thing quickly is glorifying. It tells us there in Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, that, that, that final verse here tells us that the shepherds were changed. There was something different about them. And it was because of the experience they had with God. I mean, what a difference a day makes. On the day before Christ was born, they were out in the fields tending their sheep. That's all they were doing. On the day after he was born, where were they? Well, they were back in the fields again. Only this time their hearts were filled with praise to God. James Montgomery Boyce points out here that that word glorify comes from, obviously, glory which originally meant to have an opinion, then to have a good opinion, and ultimately to estimate the true worth of something. You glorify anything when you recognize its true value. And so when you say the shepherds glorified God, it means that having seen Jesus Christ in the manger, they were overwhelmed by God's power. They were overwhelmed by God's grace. They were overwhelmed by God's goodness, His wisdom. And they were amazed at the miracle of the incarnation. So much so that they simply couldn't stop talking about it. And look at where they did talk about it. Look at what the text says. The text does not say that they glorified God and they went to the temple. It doesn't say that. That would have been appropriate, but they didn't do that. What does it say? It says they simply returned. They returned to where they came. They went back to the field. They went back to their place of work. Back to the tiring, unappreciated work of caring for sheep. 
I mean, within 48 hours, they were back where they were when the angel found them in the first place. Having seen that little baby in that manger, it was time to go back to work. And so they did. And you know what? So must we. Christmas eventually ends for all of us. Soon enough, we'll take down the tree, we'll pack away the ornaments, and either use our gifts or take them back. In a few days, the children will go back to school. And you know what? Life returns to normal. But what will be changed by Christmas? Or will it be business as usual in 2016? See, for the shepherds, you have to understand, life would never be the same, beloved. Yeah, the work is the same. Same smelly animals they were caring for. But they were different. They went back with a new zeal, with a new joy, with a new love for God in their hearts. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, I wish I could celebrate the spirit of Christmas all year long. And they speak of it with kind of a magical tone, you know. I mean, if you're talking about <clears throat> the tree and the gifts and the mistletoe and the chestnuts roasting by the fire, all that stuff. Well, that only needs to come once a year, in my humble opinion. <clears throat> but the greater truth of Christmas, the greater truth that Christ sent his Savior, his Son, that's something we can celebrate all year long. Will you do what the shepherds did? Will you go back to where you came from? Go back to your office. Go back to your classroom. Go back to your factory, your neighborhood, your job, your family duties, your daily humdrum, daily routine. And as you go back, glorify God and praise him. That's what the shepherds did. It's that simple. See, Christmas didn't change their circumstances. But it changed them deeply. And it changed them profoundly. And because it changed them, it changed the way they approached their daily lives, their daily work. They still had to deal with the cranky sheep, the smelly animals. Sometimes they probably stepped in sheep manure. But it didn't matter anymore. They had seen the Christ child. Let me ask you, have you seen Jesus this Christmas time? If you have, then go back to where you came. And take the memory of Christmas with you. Glorify God. Praise Him as you go in your daily routine. And you'll find your days filled with joy. Well, how should we celebrate Christmas now? Proclaim the good news that Christ has come. Wonder at God's amazing grace and His amazing plan. Ponder the works of God in our heart. And glorify God in our daily lives. Start right where we are and God will be with you. I pray that as we look forward to 2016, that we will expect great things from God and expect to serve him even more. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray, Lord, that we would learn the lesson before us from these lowly shepherds that, Lord, you don't come to save the high and the mighty. You come to save the low and the meek the humble. We thank you for this picture from these shepherds, how you
changed their hearts. How Mary and Joseph were obedient through this whole situation. To believe the gospel is to hear it and to obey it. To embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then to go out and to witness and and to proclaim this message to a lost and dying world. I pray today if there's any here who have yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ. Lord, that you would draw them to yourself as only you can. I pray that you would be the Savior to anyone here this morning who needs to be rescued from the wrath to come. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Pray you'd give us a safe and happy new year as we seek to glorify you and serve you in a greater way in 2016. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.